Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. A mummified murder. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. In August of 2005, as you probably know, Hurricane Katrina ravaged the streets of New Orleans, a Category 5 natural disaster that left the city's 10 parishes in massive ruin, with over 1,800 people dead. While it's difficult to quantify or qualify the full impact that Katrina had in New Orleans, nobody can argue that the city is and was and will be forever changed the tragedy and destruction lasting way past the hurricane's seven-day duration. In fact, the hurricane brought up all kinds of things, both physical things like wreckage and emotional things like the anger around the lack of aid from the government. But without making this too political too soon or at all, I know you're not here for politics, Hurricane Katrina did one, maybe one, good thing It brought closure to a years-long missing persons case. The flooding of Hurricane Katrina unearthed some answers to a crime that might have otherwise gone unsolved, a gruesome murder whose details lay dormant in a waterlogged New Orleans storage unit. Today, we're talking about the murder of Polly Pastore, or the capture of the Katrina trunk killer. Years before Hurricane Katrina strikes, Dana who's known as Polly Pastore, wants a fresh start in the Big Easy. Newly divorced and estranged from her two daughters, the native Texan moves from Santa Barbara to New Orleans, diving deep into New Orleans' vibrant culture and social scene. She eventually starts dating a man named John Henry Morgan, who's kind of part of the music theater scene himself. And in November of 2000, the two move into a second-floor apartment at 735 Ursuline Street, in the historic French Quarter of Orleans Parish. Conveniently, both get new jobs right next door to their apartment at the Quartermaster Deli, a well-known Cajun eatery in the 1100 block of Bourbon Street. Pastore works as a late-night shift waitress while Morgan delivers groceries on his bike. The couple is a fixture of the French Quarter, a part of the area's community. Deep down, some say Pastore hopes her new start and stability within it might maybe help mend her relationship with her estranged husband and daughters. That is, until March 27, 2002. On March 27, 2002, Pastore's friend files a missing persons report with the New Orleans Police Department. She hasn't heard from her best friend in days. 
And the last time she did talk to her, she wasn't acting like herself. She seemed depressed and strangely distant. Detective Gregory Hamilton is assigned to the case and begins interviewing friends and family who are close to Pastori. Hamilton interviews another friend and coworker of Pastori's named Lynn Lyons. Lyons says that Pastori confided in her, saying that she had plans to break up with Morgan and move back to Dayton, Ohio to connect with her mother, who lived there. John Morgan, whose real name is John Robertson, but he changed it because of his love for New Orleans rum, Captain Morgan rum, of course, is sad but resigned. When Hamilton questions him, he says he doesn't remember when Pastori left, but said that she might have visited a friend or went to Ohio to be with her mom. Morgan also said that Pastori was trying to get custody of her two daughters. Morgan's interview echoes the sentiment of Pastori's friends. His longtime girlfriend had been distant and sullen, resigned from her life, and then all of a sudden she is gone. As the missing persons investigation gets underway, Hamilton begins monitoring Pastori's bank accounts, cards, and phone. To the investigator, it seems that she has vanished completely. There's no activity, no calls, even her filled prescriptions sit at the pharmacy, needing to be picked up. There's also no contact with her two daughters, ex-husband, or anyone in Ohio, including Pastori's parents, Francis Sela and Peter Surrett. Pastori's parents have been divorced for years, but are still in her life. Sela is a warm woman from Ohio who is devastated by the news. Surrett is a retired police chief residing in Greenville, South Carolina, who is exactly what you'd think a retired Southern police chief would be like. Kind of stern, matter-of-fact, regimented, strict, even perhaps disconnected from the tragedy of his daughter's disappearance. He tells Hamilton he'd seen stuff like this all the time during his work in law enforcement. He worries Pastori's ex is responsible for her disappearance. The two had a horrible falling out, so much so that Pastori is not in contact with her own two children. Looking deeper into her romantic past, Hamilton finds out that Pastori and her ex-husband have a tumultuous history, to say the least. The two move and get married in Santa Barbara, and they have two children, and they seem happy. But abruptly, Pastori divorces her husband, and the two establish joint custody of their kids. While the breakup is sad, the two seem like they're doing fine, co-parenting and living happy lives. Pastori's ex-husband gets remarried, and everything seems fine. But then, a few years later, Pastori accuses her ex and his new wife of abusing the children and abducts her daughters from his home. She then travels with her daughters all over North America— to Ohio, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Florida, Seattle, before eventually being arrested in December of 1995. The court disproves Pastori's allegation that her ex and his wife abused their daughters, and she loses all custody of her two kids. After five years in New Orleans, Hamilton has to wonder, did Polly Pastori miss her daughters and disappear with them yet again? Or did something happen with her ex-husband, who might have wanted her, her allegations, her abduction, her complicated antics, out of the picture? After talking to Pastori's half-sister, Catherine Surrett Spicer, Hamilton flags another toxic family dynamic. Spicer immediately points to Pastori's father, Peter Surrett, as being a huge problem in Pastori's life. He was abusive to Pastore growing up, definitely physical and emotional, but she also suggests some sexual abuse might have been part of her upbringing. Now, that is unsubstantiated, um, but again, it's something that keeps coming up in my research, so I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. 
still, again, nobody else talks about sexual abuse. Uh, the abuses are very vague at best, and Pastore's friends don't really know much about it. Uh, it's really just uh, inner family members who are questioned. Hamilton's mind then goes to Surrette as a possible suspect or catalyst. Did Pastore's father say something to make her upset, make her leave, or make her hurt herself? And then Hamilton looks into another passing reference made by Spicer, Lyons, and Morgan, the House of Scorpio. Now, like I said, Pastore is part of this New Orleans community, specifically the street arts and performance scene. With that comes some affiliation with other groups that make their presence known in public squares, who have some artistic crossover. As you can imagine, in many cities, a lot of these communities are connected. The House of Scorpio seems, from my research, to be one of these groups. Now, what is the House of Scorpio? Okay. The House of Scorpio is a collective of Odinists. If you don't know what Odinists are, they are mystic followers of the pagan god Odin, who often convened in the historic Jackson Square, at least the Odinists in New Orleans. Morgan said that he looped Pastore into the group, and together they would hold rites and rituals honoring and celebrating the Germanic deity. Sometimes these evenings would go on for hours and involved smoke, fires, dancing. But was that all it was? Maybe Pastore did something to upset their religious group and community, exiling herself from the group. If so, Hamilton wonders, was the House of Scorpio capable of violence or retaliation? As the week wears on, co-worker Andy Salinas comes to Hamilton with new information. Salinas says that Morgan is telling some wildly different stories to co-workers and friends about Pastore. While working together at the Quartermaster Deli, at first, Morgan says Pastore was in an automobile accident while visiting a friend and was hospitalized. But later, he says she's probably with her mother in Ohio. He also has told people that she is abroad, that she's looking for her daughters, and lots of other things that don't feel consistent or genuine. For the next three years, the case grows cold, but Morgan's stories about Pastore get more and more grandiose. He continues to tell friends that he thinks that Pastore's dad got her a job as a dispatcher with the South Carolina Police Department, or that she's become a writer in Prague. Morgan's theories are obviously suspicious, or at the very least, strange, but there's nothing tying him, or anyone else for that matter, to Pastore's disappearance. No Pastore, no leads, and no identifiable crime scene. That is, until August 29, 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hits. While harrowing, Katrina's damaging floods are what eventually provides the crucial break and the closure that the Polly Pastore case needs. But for now... Let's take a break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, 
You can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Hello, hello. For the check-in. That's right. The center of your universe. (laughs) That's right. You're here. We're here. What do we do now? I think we just sit in it for a second. Uh, you ever do those things in any kind of class where you're like, oh, look into like the person in front of you's eyes for any uh, amount of time, like uh, any prolonged eye contact? As you say it, I get uncomfortable. I hate. Yeah. I hate. That. I don't want to look into anyone's nah. soul through their eyes. Yeah. Like I want to look down at my phone. Thank you very much. Yeah. Jesus. That's why they were made to not have to look <laughs> at people. Mm-hmm. That's why my posture is terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. We want to say hello to anyone who's listening. Anyone who supports the show, spreads the good word. Yeah. Gets up gets up on that soapbox and says, Hey, society. <laughs> Wanna just check out Ghost Town Podcast? And they're like, No. <laughs> and everyone's, you get, like, oh. everyone's like, No, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. It's like people on the street having you sign something. And then you step off down off that soapbox mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, I'm just gonna be, be a normal normal person and mm-hmm. not do that. Like, why did I do that? I'll never do that again. Yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you for doing it that one time. That, I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, that was good. It was good of you. I'll say it. Now, I will get on a big old soapbox for <laughs> a big one for the almighty government put into place checks and balances keeping us on the straight and narrow. Always, always and forever. Cool cops. Absolutely. And cool. I don't say that about a lot of cops. No. <laughs> cool cops that aren't even cops no they're like they're like stripper cops where you're like yeah. thank god you're here but Ugh. yeah but in any way you perceive that as good and not offensive mm-hmm. and take that in any way that is most pleasing to you yeah absolutely you get to run with that and yeah, i get to you. run with it in my own mind too. yeah so we both win mine is like one roll neck sweater and you take off that one roll neck sweater there's another roll neck sweater oh, no. and stop that's my idea <laughs> of strippers yeah that's wild but hey listen teach his own uh, wait one gap roll neck sweater is pretty the hot roll neck it's not even like a crew neck <laughs> yeah it's roll neck roll neck roll neck roll neck so heavy in roll neck sweaters we have the mayors it's casual day <laughs> we got Dar Rosenzweig. Hello. Ashley Matson. Hello. Kat Joselle. Hello. And someone who's wearing a roll neck sweater made out of friggin' diamonds. <gasps> made out of oh friggin' diamonds. Contain yourself. Friggin' diamonds. Woo! They are a podcast best friend. <laughs> Our governor just diamonds. <laughs> waiting for us to do the name together but you just keep going oh, before we get that, i'm gonna drag it out a little bit longer <laughs> the funniest thing is i have one one of my sisters that is her wi-fi password is diamonds and you'd <laughs> think yes, like oh yes. wow she must be no it's just regular i mean not no. not not but you know you wouldn't say diamonds <laughs> but it's funny to her it's like diamonds diamonds i love that i love it's so oh. good oh, that's rich well all in diamonds our governor mm-hmm. Avian Noble. See if you want no chit chat, no ads, bonus episodes. You want to binge. You want to look at your diamonds, your 
five carat, ten carat, yep, two carat, one carat. A bushel of carrots. Why you want to look at that while you're binging without any ads or chit chat, just getting mm-hmm. the goodies, the good stuff. Yeah. Sp- sparkle on over <laughs> to the a pawn shop. Sell those diamonds. Sell them. Sell them. Sell those diamonds. Or you don't wear need... them next to your ghost town pin. Yeah, do that. How about that? Yeah, that's mm, a tie why not? In. That's called a tie-in. Head on over to patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Well, I'm dazzled um, and high off of all this diamond talk. Let's get back to it. On October 21st, 2005, the landlord of 939 Elysian Fields Avenue calls the New Orleans Police Department in a panic. While cleaning out debris in a basement storage room destroyed by Hurricane Katrina, they find a small gray and tan plywood trunk with a flimsy lock on it. It's cheap looking, like I said, thin, like something you'd find in a shitty storage unit that nobody wanted. The landlord, doing their due diligence, drags the trunk to level ground, preparing to find some other garbage or clothes or things of that nature inside. They forced open the lock and dump the contents out, and what they see appears to be maybe a Halloween decoration, a kind of hanging decorative mummy. But looking more closely, the shock sets in. It isn't a decoration at all. It's a contorted, mummified body with a curling iron and the iron's electrical cord tangled around its neck. The arms and legs have been cut from the torso. The body is nested inside a bra and a dirty South Carolina Police Department t-shirt. Also in the trunk is a pair of socks, a white towel, a pair of underwear, sweatpants, a beer can, mothballs, an ace bandage, and a small American flag. Unfortunately, the discovery of bodies after Hurricane Katrina is a common occurrence. In the wake of the hurricane, lots of the buried and hidden are eventually excavated. Did the bodies somehow get trapped in the hurricane? How long has it been down there? Forensics investigators perform an autopsy while the New Orleans police perform a days-long, comprehensive search of the basement and the corresponding unit. Now, after years of searching, questions about the whereabouts of Polly Pastori are soon put to rest. The landlord also finds a small lockbox in the corresponding apartment unit. It includes Pastori's driver's license, passport, birth certificate, Sears credit card, social security card, a Chattanooga library card, a 7th Avenue customer card, and an adult probation department letter. Also found in the lockbox, were Morgan's Buyers Club Sportsman Card, Bell South Credit Card, Louisiana Fishing License, Correspondence from Chase Manhattan Bank, and a Social Security Survivor Disability Card. Eventually, using the DNA of her mother, Frances Sela, the body is also positively identified as Polly Pastori. The New Orleans Coroner's Office cites Pastori's cause of death as strangulation by way of the curling iron coiled around her neck. Going through their records, the landlord at 939 Elysian Fields Avenue tells Hamilton that the storage unit's corresponding apartment was leased, no surprise, to John Morgan in January 2005, where he lived with his then-girlfriend, Tracy Greer. Following Hurricane Katrina and receiving his $2,000 FEMA relief check, Morgan put in his notice and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. Eager to get away, he forgets, or can't be bothered, to clean the storage room that contains the mummified remains of his ex-girlfriend. Hamilton also goes back to interview Maria Barranco, the landlord at 735 Ursulini Street, where Morgan and Pastori lived back before her disappearance. 
Barranco informs Detective Hamilton that Morgan and Pastore lived in one of the front apartments for approximately two years, beginning in 2000, and that prior to Morgan moving out of the apartment, she smelled a foul odor which she thought were dead rats. According to Barranco, the smell was so bad and no cleaning product helped. Barranco showed Detective Hamilton a small crawl space in the kitchen wall of Morgan's prior apartment from where she believes the source of the odor came from. Between the floorboards of the crawl space, there is fresh caulk and unidentified stains. Hamilton believed that the trunk associated with the mummified body definitely could have fit inside this crawl space. So while the crawl space located at 735 Ursulini's Avenue is being processed by law officials, it reveals that there are six blood spatter stains on the floor, door, and wall, and a possible blood swipe stain on the inside of the door. Chemical tests using hemosticks and leucocrystal violet showed a purple coloration, which was presumptive for blood. Maggot egg cases and a white powder on the baseboard were also present. With enough evidence now, an arrest warrant for John Henry Morgan is issued. On February 8, 2008, Morgan is arrested and charged with second-degree murder in the death of Polly Pastore. He vehemently denies killing his ex-girlfriend, saying that she was murdered by a drug dealer named Pepper as a punishment to Morgan for ratting his business out. Morgan says that Pepper tells him to store Pastore's body in a wooden trunk. If he doesn't, he says, he'll get hurt. Or worse. Nobody believes this story, though. Nobody believes Morgan, and while we'll never fully know the truth, Hamilton puts together his own timeline. He believes Pastore was murdered by Morgan sometime in 2002 at her former home at 735 Ursulini Street. An erratic, sometimes drug user, Morgan might have been using and he turns on his girlfriend after she expresses unhappiness and maybe some plans to leave New Orleans. After killing her, Morgan dismembers her body and stores it in a trunk that he keeps for three years. He takes the trunk with him everywhere, moving it from apartment to apartment, and eventually burying it in the floor of his most recent New Orleans apartment storage unit. Believing Katrina will be enough to cover his tracks, he leaves the trunk there, hoping it will be forgotten or lost in the wake of the hurricane. But the disaster doesn't hide his dark secret. It reveals it. On July 29, 2009, John Morgan is convicted of the murder of Polly Pastore. The jury deliberates for a mere 40 minutes before finding Morgan guilty of second-degree murder. Morgan is sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. After seven long years, I can only imagine, for Polly's family, her friends, her co-workers, these groups that she's affiliated with that were even suspected, uh, her family with its complicated history, justice is finally uncovered. But unfortunately for John Morgan, he has slowly but indisputably dug his own grave. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.